You're listening to Sportsnet Today on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. What is going on? Happy Friday. It is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd here with you. It's a Canucks game day, kind of, as they get ready uh, to face the Calgary Flames in Penticton later today. And joining me from Penticton for the whole show today, our guy, Brendan Batchelor. Batch, what's going on, man? Not too much. It's good to be uh, back here. I'm sitting overlooking the ice at the beautiful South Okanagan Events Center as a few of the Winnipeg Jets prospects are out. A couple guys shooting on one of the goalies, and uh, hockey season feels like it's back. It's a game day. Let's get going. You're calling a game today, man. It must be very exciting for you. Yes, uh, rumors of my demise have been greatly <laughs> exaggerated. We will be back on the air tonight uh, calling the Canucks and the Flames Young Stars, uh, both for the video stream on Canucks.com, and you'll be able to hear the audio on our alternate stream here yep. on Sportsnet 650 tonight. Uh, so looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Yeah, as you said, uh, it'll be on the alternate online stream tonight. And um, I believe on Sunday and Monday, it'll be on the air. But just because of the Canadians playoff game, it's going to be on the online stream. But yeah, you will be able to hear these games with Batch calling them. Uh, on Sportsnet 650. I guess, you know, we'll get into some of the, the other stuff uh, going on with the team and, and the tournament and all that batch, but did you have to get out some flashcards to, to put the roster together? Because there's some, <laughs> some new names that you're going to be dealing with for this one tonight. Yeah, part of what I'm going to do after we get off the air this morning and the Canucks wrap up their morning skate is talk to some guys and, you know, not to interview them, but just to say, how do you say your name? Can you say it right. for me? Can you say it again? Can you say it again? I'll say it. Now you tell me if I'm right. Okay, we're good. Uh, to be honest, for tournaments like this, uh, it's obviously it's been a few years since the Young Stars tournament happened, right? I think it was 2018 was yep. the last one. Uh, and at that point, I was going into my second year doing this job. Previously, I worked for the Vancouver Giants in the WHL. So I came into this tournament knowing about a bunch of the WHL guys at the very least uh, because I've been working in the league. I'm much more separated from my WHL days now. <laughs> so I looked at these rosters and I was like, oh, that's a whole lot of guys. I've got no idea who they are. So inside baseball, not only have there been flashcards, but there will be cheat sheets that I will be gripping very tightly <laughs> in the palm of my hand during the entire game tonight just to make sure we get through it without it, it must take you back a little bit batch and you know i've i've only done incredibly low level play-by-play -play for you know random basketball tournaments and soccer tournaments but i'm sure you did some of the similar things in hockey as well when you're starting out and at the lower levels it's kind of just you know right before the game starts here are the names and you kind of do your best on the fly to try to learn all the names and all the numbers and it must have a little bit of that feel for you too yeah, luckily, uh, at the very least, they gave us a couple of days uh, yeah. releasing the rosters. So I, I've had some time to dig in a little bit to it. But, you know, that kind of is the charm of, of the Young Stars tournament to me is, you know, yeah, there are a few guys here who are notable players, guys that have been drafted, you know, high in the NHL draft, uh, you know, that could potentially play in the NHL this season but it's also you know kind of that uh that alex burroughs story i guess you could say of guys can come here and make an impression make a name for themselves earn an ahl contract maybe or an invite to nhl camp where they might not have had one um 
So, and there's guys from, from all walks of their careers, you know, the Winnipeg Jets uh, have a forward off the top of my head. I believe it's Tyler Boland, who's 26, who is by far the oldest player participating in this tournament, but he's got a unique story that he did four years of major junior. And now he's done four years of Canadian college hockey. And now he's getting a crack with uh, at least a look at an NHL team. So, um, you know, you, you, you go from that perspective and I've got the Winnipeg Jets group on the brain right now because they're on the ice. And then at the other end of the spectrum is Cole Perfetti, who played in the NHL last year, who very well could play a significant role in the NHL for the Jets this year, getting a chance to come in and and get some game action in before training camp here at Penticton too. So, um, you know, I'm very happy this tournament is back. I think we've missed it. It didn't happen even the year before the pandemic. So it's been a number of years since we've been here in Penticton for this kickoff to the season. And, uh, you know, things feel like they're getting back to normal again to be back here. Well, what's the mood around the rank and specifically with the Canucks? Because as you said, yeah, back for the first time in, in quite a few years, as you said, it feels like a bit like a return to normal. And, you know, the other interesting thing with the Canucks batch is there's so many. It's not just the players kind of getting to know each other. There's so many new coaches, new AHL coach, right? New player development staff and you know, I I know they were, they were on the ice yesterday and there was a, a little bit of a chance to talk to some of the coaches and management and all that. What's the kind of vibe you're getting from the Canucks organization up there in Penticton? Yeah, I think like most of these organizations, it's it's a relaxed vibe because things aren't aren't real yet. Right. Like you're here uh, working through things with some of your young potential prospects. Um, you know, for example, Jeremy Colleton, we talked to him yesterday, the new head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. And, and he's just talking about, you know, having a bit of familiarity with these guys from summer development camp, but at the same time, uh, you know, not being a hundred percent familiar with them and looking forward to seeing them in game action and kind of getting a feel for some of the guys that are here that he might end up having in Abbotsford, um, you know, management. Uh, I think they've sort of been spotted around here. They'll be here watching the games and assessing. But I think that's one of the reasons that hockey people like this tournament so much is, you know, it, it's a, a good gradual way to ease into the season. Yes, you know, there, there are important games being played here for the prospects. And it's a great opportunity to kind of assess where your prospect group is at as compared to other teams and get a feel for how guys deal with game like situations but you know it's also a a relaxing weekend when you're not at the rink people can get out to the wineries or onto the golf course and things like that so you know i wouldn't say that that anything feels tense here (laughs) for any means for anyone uh you know it's one of those things where you know people in hockey seem to be more accessible at a tournament yeah. like this like you know just wandering through the rink the other day you wander past past brad Treliving uh with the flames and you know there's there's hockey people mixing and, and milling and all the media people come together and and so it's sort of one of those things where uh it's relaxed it's casual nobody's taking it too seriously but it's a nice way to sort of dip your toe into the season a week before training camp when we'll jump in with both feet uh, Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Brendan Batchelor here with you. Batch is live in Penticton. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be with you until uh, 11 a.m. today. And, of course, you will be able to hear Batch call the games uh, right here on Sportsnet 650 up in Penticton this weekend. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar, DunbarLumber.com. 
And we are coming to you live, or at least I am, live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Ian McIntyre, also up in Penticton, he's going to join us at 9.30, talk a little bit about the tournament, what it means for the franchise, uh, and some other Canucks topics as well. And Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun will join us at 10. We were already planning to Scott, and then batch the news drops that Blake Wheeler will not be the Winnipeg Jets captain this season. They are removing the C from his jersey, so we'll dive into that with Scott at 10. Really interesting story, and I find the Jets pretty fascinating anyways going in to this season. But before we get into all that, I want to talk a little bit about Quinn Hughes, uh, Batch. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's in, Quinn Hughes is a, a fascinating player to me because as much as he's obviously such an important part of this team's future, and he's always consistently name-checked as one of the core players, right? You know, as small as you want to say what the core is, there's no version of it that doesn't include Quinn Hughes, right? And yet... If there's feels, a one-man core group, yeah. Quinn Hughes is that one-man core yeah, group. Yeah, maybe. Really, like it might it might come down to it. But uh, the smallest you ever hear is people will say, you know, Patterson, Hughes, and Demko, right? He is a bona fide, no doubt about it, long-term foundation piece for this team. But it also feels like sometimes we don't talk about him as much because there just hasn't been nearly as much drama around Quinn Hughes as some of the other key players on the team. And I know you can go back to this time last year, right? And it was... Is the extension going to get done? When is he going to sign? But since then, you know, you look at what happened to all the, the the seasons that all of the other top skaters on the team had last year, and you either had basically big discussions around their contract status. I mean, we all know with JT Miller, right, how that went, and will they trade him? What, what kind of extension will they sign him to? Brock Besser, there was always the question about, you know, hey, what, what's, what's going to happen with the qualifying offer? What kind of deal is he going to get? Horvat's in that camp now, right, going into the season without an extension signed for beyond this year. So there was all these questions about contract status or performance in with Elias Patterson, right, where he had such an up-and-down season. There was so much concern about how he was performing early in the season. And, you know, Hughes was really the only star high-end skater. So not including Thatcher Demko, but Hughes was really the only high-end skater on the team that was both consistently really good last year and you know what he's signed to a long-term deal so we don't even have to think about his contract status and not only is he signed to a long-term deal but it's a really team-friendly one it's a number you really like for a lot of years and I think that means we just haven't talked about Quinn Hughes nearly as much but there's also a reason why he's obviously a core player for this team and you know I think coming into even with training camp getting going next week it's okay JT Miller just signed the new deal right can Brock Besser have a bounce back here? Bo Horvat, he's playing without a contract. What does Elias Pettersson do? It seems like Quinn Hughes is almost an afterthought, but given what else the Canucks have on the blue line and how that figures to maybe be an area of weakness for this team, I think Quinn Hughes, it, I'm still fascinated to see how he performs this year, Batch. Yeah, I think it says a lot about how good he's been down the stretch in all of these seasons that we don't talk about him, right? Because he's he's Mr. Automatic. He's there. He's guaranteed. He's going to, you know, if he's in the lineup and he, you know, he's had some limited injury issues, I guess, but yeah. nothing, you know, to the extent of, of what we've seen Pedersen go through, say, for example, um, you know, when he's in the lineup, he's Quinn Hughes, right? We haven't seen him have any dip in form. There haven't been questions about his game or any sort of struggles to transition to the NHL, really. He's, he's the guy. But that said, I think there could be a lot of big talking points, at least revolving around him going into training camp next week because of the fact that 
you know, they, they may look to start him on the right side, yeah. right? That's something we, we've heard some rumblings about. We saw them try it at eight ranks, uh, you know, this past week. And, you know, they're, they're just sort of uh, scrimmaging and, and messing around. And I think they had an odd number of defensemen. So I wouldn't necessarily read into it too much. But the fact that it happened at all, I think, is an indication that that could be where they see Quinn Hughes for this year. And if that is the case, then that has, you know, reverberations that don't just affect Quinn Hughes, don't just affect his performance on the ice, but it affects the entire makeup of the blue line, you know, the entire discussion around how you want to deploy guys on your back end. Um, So I guess it's a conversation about Quinn Hughes that really isn't about Quinn Hughes. It's about how everything else is going to fit around him. But, um, you know, it may be the most that we've talked about Quinn Hughes in a training camp since he's arrived in the NHL this year. If indeed, you know, next Thursday in Whistler, the first on ice session, we see him line up on the right side with OEL. That'll be a big one. That'll be really, really fascinating to see. 650-650, I want you in the conversation, the listeners. What do you want to see from Quinn Hughes this season? What are your expectations? Uh, And what do you think he needs to improve on? And I want to play a few clips here. This is a a bit of a, a sneak peek from Quinn Hughes and his 32 Thoughts interview, which I don't believe is out yet, but was recorded yesterday with uh, with Merrick and Friedman. They're down in Vegas for the, the NHL, NHLPA media tour before the season. By the way, what a tough gig for, uh, for Merrick and Friedman. First, they're in Paris with the European tours. Now they're in Vegas. Uh, really tough sledding for those guys here in Where the, in I the preseason. I know, that right? I mean, you're in Penticton. That's pretty nice. We're going to Whistler next week. That's nice, but it's not exactly uh, Paris it's not, and then Vegas. Not Paris, yeah. No, exactly. not quite. A little bit of different. <laughs> but anyways, Quinn Hughes sat down uh, with, with Jeff and Elliot for an interview, and w- lots of really interesting clips, uh, some, some fascinating insight from Hughes. I'm excited to hear the whole interview, but the clip I want to play first while we're talking about you know, what you want to see in terms of improvement from Quinn Hughes. What what do we want to see in terms of the next step forward from Hughes? Here's what he had to say about what he wants to improve on this year. I had a good year on the ice. Like, I was happy with how my year went, and I think they were too. It's For me, it's all mental. Like, Roman Yossi had 110 more shots than me, and I think that's a crazy stat. Um, so for me, just shooting a bit more, but then off the ice trying to expand as a leader, being in the rink earlier, working out, just being a professional and trying to expand my role on the team. I think that's what they want to see, and I think I'm ready for that. That's Quinn Hughes talking about what he's going to focus on to improve on this year. And the leadership stuff is really interesting, and I want to expand a little bit more on that batch. There's some more clips of Quinn Hughes talking about that as well, but I did think it was really interesting to hear him not just say, you know, shooting and scoring more, but specifically that he he knows the number, right? Roman Yossi had this many, yeah. 100 more shots than me. And we've seen this from Quinn Hughes before where he is very, very aware of the flaws in his game or at least what he perceives as the flaws in his game. And he's he's committed and focused on fixing them in the offseason, right? And last year at this time it was... Well, he's made huge defensive improvements after the tough season in the North uh, in the North Division, and we saw that play out on the ice. So, for him to specifically reference, you know, I look at a top player like Roman Yossi, and he did this better than me, and I'm going to try to fix that. That's fascinating, and I think that could really, really portend a, a more aggressive offensive shooting performance from Quinn Hughes. Absolutely, that's what you should expect. And you know that that was immediate. That was the first time I heard that clip when we played it. And that's immediately what jumped out to me is he knows exactly the number of shots yeah. he needs to get 
to get to the level of a guy like Roman Yossi. And, you know, this is a Quinn Hughes that is driven, wants to be the best player he can. He talks about it on the ice and off the ice. Uh, You know, this is a guy that wants to win a Norris Trophy one day. Make no mistake about it. Wants to win with his team and understands that his performance is going to be a key part of the Canucks potential success in the short term and in the long term. Now that he's, you know, locked up to, to a contract here for a few more years. So, you know, I remember thinking last summer and it was an interview that Jack Hughes gave where he was asked about Quinn and he specifically mentioned Quinn Hughes plus minus from the North division year and how he was, Quinn Hughes was unhappy with that, was unhappy with the public perception around that. And that was what drove him coming into the year. And we saw his defensive game improve leaps and bounds. And and the plus minus number was vastly better than it had been the year before. So the fact that you have Quinn Hughes specifically checking that he needs to take more shots and comparing the number of shots he had to a guy like Roman Yossi, I would put a lot of money on if you look at Quinn Hughes stat uh, stat line at the end of this coming season, he's going to have at least a hundred more shots, if not more, <laughs> because he, that, that is clearly going to be a priority in his game. And you know what? He's pretty effective at getting pucks through on net from the point too. So, you know, that could prove to be, you know, great for the Canucks in terms of offensive production from the back end, which is something they've struggled with at times over the last few years and for Hughes and his individual numbers too. Well, it'll be really fascinating to see where those shots come from. If he is able to add a significant volume of shots on goal, right. And kind of how they develop as well. You know, you mentioned him getting pucks through from the point, which he is really good at Marcus and Gibson says a harder shot by Quinn would be nice. And yeah, look, obviously you would love to see him have kind of a weapon of a shot and that, that kind of bomb from the point, but also with a wrister. But I also look at, You know, Roman Yossi doesn't generate that volume of shots because he just lets it fly from the point, right? He uses his skating to get into those dangerous positions where you don't have to have an absolute cannon because you're in close, but you still have a good chance of beating the goalie. And I think, you know, Kale McCarr is the the peak of defenseman goal scoring right now in the NHL. So I don't want to say that's the level Quinn Hughes has to get to, but you see similar things with McCarr. It's not just about letting it fly from the point. It's about using your skating, using your intelligence to get into dangerous areas where you can threaten the goalie. And for me, that it's, it's more almost more of a mentality and a mindset for Quinn Hughes than it is just, Hey, you have to really unleash some one timers from the point. I just want to see him be aggressive. Take the puck to the dangerous areas where you can get your shot off. Well, and here, here is the other part of this conversation that, you know, it kind of ties into what we were talking about before. If they use him on a pairing with Ekman Larson, whether he's on the right side or the left side, that frees him up to take more risks offensively because you look at the past few years and the partners he's played with, you know, not to take anything away from a guy like Luke Shen last year, but Luke Shen is not a, an elite top four defenseman in the NHL, like an Oliver Ekman Larson is where, you know, Hughes, you know, could take chances offensively and a hundred percent trust that if there's an odd man rush the other way or something like that, Luke Shen's got him. And again, I like Luke Shen as a player. I thought he had a tremendous season last year for the Canucks. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but it's clear that Luke Shen is not Oliver Ekman Larson. So if Hughes plays with Ekman Larson, then essentially what that says to me is that Quinn Hughes has an ever-present green light 
right? Because you know that OEL, Mm -hmm. who had a great defensive season last year, is a veteran defenseman in this league, can cover up if Hughes gets caught up in the play or needs to be aggressive to try and generate offense. And that, more so than maybe moving Hughes to the right side, could be the best reason to put those guys together. Because if you can unlock more offense from Quinn Hughes by putting him with a more reliable defender full-time, then that's just going to improve your overall offensive picture, your ability to transition the puck, which, of course, when Hughes isn't on the ice is something that the Canucks struggle with. Um, so, you know, that's that's another interesting thing that I hadn't really thought of until we got into this discussion now is if Hughes is talking about being more aggressive offensively, shooting the puck more, maybe trying to get up in the rush more, uh, then it makes a lot of sense that you'd have him with a guy like Ekman Larson as opposed to really any other of the Canuck defensemen as it sits right now. Well, and the other thing with OEL on a potential pairing with Quinn Hughes, and it kind of ties into one of the other improvements I want to see from Quinn too, but just to your point, Batch, you know, OEL not just very reliable defensively as we saw last season, but he can chip in offensively as well. So it just creates an environment on the ice where, you know, if Quinn Hughes and OEL are out there with a line centered by any of Horvat, Miller, or Pedersen, you're going to have five guys who are dangerous offensively on the ice, right? And that should theoretically help to generate more opportunities for Quinn Hughes along with all the other guys that are out there as well. And yeah, the more we talk about it, Batch, the more I really would like to see Hughes and OEL play together in some combination at some point this season because I think there's just a lot to be said for kind of, okay, these are our two best defensemen. We're going to put them on a pairing together and we know they can handle a lot of different responsibilities, right? We can put them in offensive situations, but I would also like to see Quinn Hughes, as much as he made really impressive defensive perform uh, improvements last season, and I think I, I think the, a lot of the criticism he gets defensively is kind of unearned at this point. He's a very good defensive player, but part of the, the, the extra additions to his game I'd like to see this year is, okay, play some of those tougher matchup minutes. You don't have to be always the matchup guy, night in, night out, in every shift, but... Let's lean on the best defenseman a little bit more to take some of those heavy minutes. And I understand there are counter arguments against that as well. You want to keep him fresh. You don't want to put him in a position to be blocking shots, all of that. But if he's partnered with OEL, okay, those are your two best defensemen. So, yeah, use them offensively, but you should feel pretty confident putting them out there in some tough minutes as well. Well, it, they will be the matchup pairing if they play together because who else could who else? be the matchup yes. pairing if they're not, right? And, and you know, th- this is... So I see the positives of putting them together, but this kind of ties into the potential negatives, which is if you put them together, they, you know, they won't play half the game. Maybe they'll play close to it. Uh, Hughes is infinitely more capable of playing more minutes than OEL just based on age. I would imagine you're not going to want to try and play OEL 30 minutes a night, every night, or or you're going to run him down, you know, early in the season. Right. But the concern I have with putting those guys together is as 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 much as it's true that when they're on the ice, you've got five guys who are a threat. And, you know, when you've got your top guys out there, it makes you that much more dangerous. What about the rest of the game? And there's still going to be more than half of the game where those two guys are not on the ice if you have them together. Whereas if you have them separate on different pairings, then at least one of them can be on the ice almost all the time with the exception of, you know, a few shifts for the third pairing or, or what have you. So, you know, I, I guess it comes down to how much faith you have that 
whatever second pairing they put together can keep their heads above water, whether that ends up being Dermot and Myers or Rathbone and Myers or, or however that plays out. Um, will be interesting to see if indeed they do go that route. But, you know, make no mistake about it. Quinn Hughes, while also being expected to produce more offense, will be on the hard-matched pairing Yeah. Uh, if he and OEL skate together, just because who else could you use in that role? There really isn't anyone with this Canucks blue line right now that you would trust in that position. Well, and as you say, you know, it really emphasizes if they do go that route, it really emphasizes how much you need to see steps forward from Jack Rathbone, from Travis Dermott, right? You need them not to be able to do the matchup role, but at least to be giving you quality minutes elsewhere. Uh, if you do load up a top pairing in that way, 650, 650 is the Dunbar lumber text line. It's sports set today. Jamie Dodd and Brendan Batchelor. We'll, ha- we'll play some more clips from Quinn Hughes uh, later in the show because he had lots of uh, interesting stuff to say with Elliot and Jeff. Again, the podcast I don't believe is out yet, but it's a little sneak peek of what you can expect to hear uh, on Quinn Hughes' interview show on 32 Thoughts. Uh, up next, though, Batch is in Penticton. You can hear some of the sounds from the rink behind him. Also in Penticton, our guy, the triple threat, Ian McIntyre. He will join us next. We'll talk about the Young Stars Tournament uh, and look ahead to the Canucks season as well. That's coming up next. It's Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show, Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd uh, in the Kintec Footwear Studio and Brendan Batchelor live from Penticton, where it is a Canucks game day. Feels like fall. Feels like fall a little bit. We've got uh, cool gray weather in Vancouver. And it's a Canucks game day up in Penticton. It is all very, very exciting. As I said, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's Triple Threat, will join us momentarily. He's in Penticton as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We were talking about uh, Quinn Hughes in the first segment. You'll hear some more clips from him uh, on the 32 Thoughts podcast, which I believe will release next week. You'll, hear, you'll be able to hear the full interview with Quinn Hughes, Jeff Merrick, and Elliot Friedman that they recorded in Vegas this week, but we got some sneak peek clips to play throughout the course of the show. Uh, we were talking about expectations, what you want to see uh, from Quinn Hughes. And I think it's fair to say, Batch, expectations are high because we had one person text in Norris or bust, LOL, which is very <laughs> as high as expectations can be pretty much uh, for a defenseman. And then the, the, the other one that came in as well unsigned, Hughes needs to take another step this season. Being an offensive defenseman, he, he must hit a point per game this season while wow. improving his defensive game. So, again, very high standards uh, from that listener. And, look, yeah, you want to see him produce offensively. I mean, I don't know if he needs to be at the true elite Kale McCarr level, but obviously the, the, the offensive production has to be there, and he just has to be an all-around excellent defenseman, which is pretty much what we've seen from Quinn Hughes for most of his NHL career. Yeah, but he is still so young that, you know, maybe it's not reasonable to say Norris or bust or point per game, but he is a young player who will be expected to take a step in his overall game, just like, you know, you could say the same of Elias Patterson, and you could say the same of, of all of their young core pieces. If this team wants to improve, if they want to complete the unfinished business that we're seeing, you know, as their rally and cry this year, 
and get into the postseason, then they are going to do that on the backs of their young players taking steps in their game. Because, you know, JT Miller was a 99-point guy last year. I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to surpass that. It may not even be reasonable to expect him to reach that number again. Um, you know, Bo Horvat, we kind of know what he is at this point, although, you know, he, he still could have, uh, you know, potential for greater offense. But really, when I look at this group and I look at offensive production and I look at the, the guys that you circle in terms of players that could take a big leap in that regard, it's a pretty short list. And, you know, Hughes is on it. Pedersen's on it. I think Vasily Podkolzin's on yeah. it. What's Andre Kuzmenko going to be this year? Can he provide some production? You know, the, these are the guys that if they take material jumps in their game, um, you know, are, are going to help the Canucks take an overall jump in their collective team game as well. It's Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Brendan Batchelor. Batch is in Penticton to cover the Young Stars tournament. Also in Penticton, Sportsnet's triple threat, Ian McIntyre, who joins us now. Ian, thanks very much for doing this. How's Penticton? Well, it's beautiful, as it always is. Yes. A little, cl- little cloudy this morning. I don't know if Batch is giving you the weather report. By the way, good morning, Brendan. Didn't we just see each other about four hours ago? <laughs> Yeah, it, it feels like it. it. It was a little bit longer ago than that, I think. Yeah, a little yeah, bit cloudy, a little bit smoky, too, unfortunately. But yeah. you know, at, at this time of the year, that's what you get in the Okanagan. We, we had uh, we had the benefit and the enjoyment of a rare uh, mass Vancouver media night out last night, which used to happen more on the road. But it was uh, it was fun to get together on the on the eve of this prospects tournament. It's just. You know, just fun to be back here for this event. When you talk to, uh, you know, people, it doesn't matter, you know, at a restaurant, at the hotel, the workers at the arena, everyone is so excited that this event is, is back in, in Penticton. And I know that the, the team personnel certainly is, or, you know, Ryan Johnson, I described it as, as it was like Christmas Eve uh, for him yesterday, because as, as a guy who absolutely loves and invests himself completely in player development. Uh, this, this is one of the highlights uh, of, of the year to have not just your own prospects here, but to see them against other teams' prospects and see where they stand. Ryan Johnson said, you know, what they do in these next three or four days are, could determine what happens to them in the next three to four weeks when teams move on to main camp and then, of course, try to make an NHL roster from there. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about that, and specifically, as you said, you know, Ryan Johnson and in your piece up at sportsnet.ca right now, that it feels a little bit like Christmas Eve almost. And, you know, beyond just the, the excitement and the fun of the tournament, right, to, to get together with the other teams, to kind of gather a lot of the hockey world in one place, what is it about this event specifically that makes it so valuable for the Canucks organization? Well, because for for one thing, you're you're seeing uh, like players against uh, each other, and you know uh, Jeremy Colton pointed out yesterday in his his scrum that when you're working with players, it doesn't matter whether they're young players or not. But these are all I don't know if you can hear traffic going by, and I'm out for a walk. Uh, these are all very very young players, and you can you can design all the the battle drills and scrimmages and game simulation drills that you want, but nothing is like playing against another team when, when people are, are wearing a different uniform. And this is, a, this is a vehicle, this is a comparison 
that have, has not been available to, to the Canucks really for five years. You know, four years ago, uh, the Oilers and Flames uh, broke off. They thought maybe, I think, they, they'd start their own tournament. There was, it was basically a squabble over some revenue and who was getting what out of this tournament. But the tournament was started by, operated by, and belongs uh, to the Canucks. But four years ago, it was just the Canucks and Jets. Uh, and then there was it was cancelled entirely in nineteen because they weren't able to sort out whatever the dispute was and and then COVID came along so it really was twenty seventeen the last time you had you had four teams and having four teams is so much more invaluable than just having two you know if you compare it to twenty eighteen where you just play the same team twice which is what Vancouver did against Winnipeg Jets prospects now they're going to see their players uh, against three different teams. Uh, each game uh, will be different, and they'll get they'll just get a, a better a better read on on their players and where they stand and who might be better than they than they thought, who might not have taken the step that they wanted to over the summer. It, it's just an invaluable uh, measuring tool, assessment tool for these teams. And this year, the Canucks don't have the most uh, star-studded roster, I guess you would say, in comparison to some of these other teams with, you know, multiple first-round picks here. And, of course, uh, Jonathan Lekkermacki is is over in Sweden, so he's not taking part as their first-round pick from this year. But that said, Ian, there are still a number of very compelling stories within this roster. What jumps out to you in terms of, you know, whether it's Linus Carlson coming over uh, and getting a taste of North American hockey, whether it's Arshdeep Baines, you know, what do you look for? What's the story that most intrigues you heading into the first game of the Young Stars tonight? Well, on, a, on an individual basis, like looking at, at the roster and players are here and what they might do, I mean, realistically, none of them are, are going to be on the NHL roster when, when the season starts. And I'm not sure that anyone will be particularly close but that's the great thing about a prospects tournament, followed by a main camp, followed by preseason games. Maybe Linus Carlson uh, pushes for a job right away. Uh, I think long term, bigger picture. Uh, they signed Carlson. They signed an, another Swede, Nils Aman, and these are guys that you could tell from the one practice yesterday. They've got a little more tradecraft because they've played professionally uh, against men in Sweden for a couple of years. And so, you know, those guys are a little bit ahead. And, and I know, especially in, in Carlson's case, he's, he's now a legit prospect for Vancouver. And they project him at some point to be ready to, to play in the NHL. And, and, and certainly he uh, has that feeling himself that, he, that he's going to be ready. Uh, I think it's a really kind of below the radar. It's a really important year for someone like Jet Wu who doesn't seem to have made much progress in terms of getting closer to the NHL in the last couple of years. Uh, in a way, to me, he's kind of like a defense version of, of Mike DiPietro, where you know he's, he's still a prospect, still could play, but is he any closer now than he was two years ago? Now, in DiPietro's case, there's been all kinds of complications at the goaltending position. You know, the taxi squad during the pandemic season, uh, the crowd in the crease in Abbotsford last year. But really, Jet Wood, uh, I don't, I don't want to say excuse, but you know, there, there's no reason 
uh, if he's ready and capable, he can't uh, push forward and, and closer to the NHL. So I think he's a story. I also think, you know, by the, by the simple fact that Spencer Martin had a, a great year last year in the Canucks organization and earned himself the right to be the backup goalie. It's his position to lose, so maybe he'll lose it between now and the start of the regular season. But the fact that he has basically graduated means that Arthur Silovs is a much more important player to them. Not only is he a prospect uh, and, and a good prospect and a better prospect than, than maybe people thought a year ago, he's also you know, closer to the NHL uh, simply by positional um, uh, depth, you know, if they have an injury or two. And look, look at what happened last year. Look how Spencer Martin got his chance. You know, if, so Silovs is, is, is very important to them. Now, sorry for my long answer. You guys probably need, need a break anyways. But <laughs> the, the, the bigger stories, so those are the indiv- some of the individual stories. The, the bigger stories, though, it, to me, with this regime still being so new, you have a player development department that's tripled in size and now includes uh, the two greatest players in franchise history in the Sedins, two guys who are going to the Hall of Fame. So much of what's happening here, so much of what's going to happen this month is all about um, establishing and trying to teach this culture and this standard that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have talked about since, since they got here. It's about establishing your identity. I know, uh, honestly, every team is trying to build a culture, even the ones that have great culture are trying to strengthen it. So in a way, it's, it's hard to quantify this. But I think when you have regime change and you have different thinking, and we know there's different thinking now in the organization. Uh, just look at all the people that they've hired from, from different backgrounds. Ryan Johnson's reiterated again yesterday what a collaborative process everything is now. With, it, with so many people having input and discussion, you know, that part of, of these events that, you know, I don't want to say team building because, you know, they're not, not – playing with Lego sets or something, you know, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to shape the direction that this franchise is going. They're trying to determine what it's going to entail to be a Canuck. And, uh, you know, most of the guys we're seeing here in Penticton will never play in the NHL. That's, that's the reality. The great, the vast majority of them will never play in the NHL, but probably some will. And this is where the education starts as to what's expected of them in this organization. We're in conversation here with Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre. He's in Penticton to cover the Canucks Young Stars Tournament. Uh, Sportsnet today with Jamie Dodd and Brendan Batchelor. And, you know, Ian, you, you uh, segued a little bit into what was going to be my next question for you there, talking about, you know, it's not just the players kind of getting a first taste of the Canucks organization this weekend. There's so many new coaches, a new AHL coach of Jeremy Colleton, you know, new uh, uh, player development staff, as you said. And, you know, from a management and coaching perspective, how are they approaching this weekend? You know, not just in terms of the message they're giving to players and the expectations they're setting, but also just kind of coming together as a staff and, and, and setting expectations for them as how they'll, they'll work together. Yeah, I, I think they're probably re- as excited as the players are to actually 
get on the ice and and practice their trade, you know, and start to figure out exactly what the roles are are going to be. Uh, I know that you know there's there's been to, to to get to this point. There's been hours and hours and hours of discussion and internal planning, but now now they now they have to apply and figure out what the roles are and and how is how is Jeremy Colton like? That's another huge part of this. You know, the, the Canucks have a, n- a new coach for what's going to be a very young and inexperienced uh, Abbotsford team. And it's an incredibly important role. I think the Canucks would like to get more players. Well, I know they do. Jim Rutherford has said they need to get more players in a pipeline going from their AHL team to the NHL team. Now, you need, you need <laughs> good players to put in the pipeline to have a better chance of getting them there. And you need probably more good players than the Canucks have brought in in the last couple of years, but it's an incredibly important process. It's going to be the lifeblood of, of the organization, how well they can, they can graduate players and train them to be NHL players so that you build out your team around those very elite guys that you're fortunate enough to draft, usually very high. And so colaton has got an important role. He's also an interesting a really interesting story because of what happened in in Chicago last year and his age and his career. So it, it's all it's all part of it. You know, they in some respects uh, to, to answer your question, the, the the staff is getting ready for main camp the way the players are. But it's I can tell you it's a very exciting time within the organization because of all the change, uh, because of all the new people who have been brought in and now they're actually having a chance to go out there and work. Ian, we're here for young stars, but we're also now less than a week away from main training camp. And one of the the fascinating figures for me going into training camp is going to be Quinn Hughes because of the discussion about whether you move him to the right side and play him with Ekman Larson. And, you know, he, you know, in the past day or so here did a, an interview with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick for 32 thoughts uh, at the NHL media tour in Las Vegas. And there's been some interesting quotes coming out of that. I'm just sort of interested in, in your view of Quinn Hughes going into the year, what you think will be best for the organization in terms of how they deploy him and what might be reasonable to expect from him in terms of maybe yet another jump in his game as a a guy that has continued to progress steadily every year since stepping into the NHL. Well, I think there is going to be, whether it's the right side or the left side, there is going to be a jump in Quinn Hughes' game because I've, I've seen very few players, especially young players, who are as driven as he is uh, to win and be better. And it's not about his points. You remember his quote from early last year, uh, coming off the, the poor pandemic season where he was minus a million I can't remember what the figure was, but he was, you know, he was embarrassed by his plus minus. And we, we know how imperfect that stat is, but the players still, most players still pay a lot of attention to it. Certainly he did. He said at the start of last season, he, he, he didn't care if he got a point in the first 10 games, as long as he didn't get scored on. And he, he told me at the end of the year, when I had a chance to talk to him one-on-one, that he has to have uh, a, a great summer. He, he 
was focused on having a great off season. And that doesn't mean a holiday to Europe. That means, that means getting better, getting stronger, uh, improving, further improving his, his defensive game. And the reason he gave for having to have a great summer is he said, if I want to hold my teammates accountable, then I have to be in the best shape and be the very best that I can be. That's a 22-year-old guy who's expressing that kind of thought. And he needs to hold uh, teammates accountable. They all do. You know, that's, that's how, again, getting back to culture, that's how you really push your culture is when the players take it on and uh, establish standards. You know, the Sedins, this is why they're, they're now on the ice working with players instead of advising management and sitting up in the stands because the organization and especially Alvin wanted their credibility and their input and their experience to be directly relatable to players. And so I, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's a really interesting time for the organization because it's almost like a, an iceberg where, you know, so much of it is below the surface. You only see the tip. We've kind of just seen the tip of the changes with all the personnel, you know, the public changes, people who have left, people who have come in. The real change is all going on below the surface. And unfortunately, that change is going to take years. But, you know, it's, it's, it's starting now. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how that translates this season because there's a lot of pressure on the team to make the playoffs. It hasn't done very well uh, in a bunch of years. Well, and the the part about stepping up and holding his teammates accountable, I think it's really, really fascinating, IMAC, for a lot of the reasons you list. And, you know, when we're talking about, okay, can Quinn Hughes improve defensively, right? We can all watch the games and, and judge for ourselves whether or not that that's the case. But it can be harder to kind of measure how he's taking those steps off the ice because we're not privy to all of those conversations. We're not there seeing what the culture is like. I mean, how do you think we on the outside can measure whether Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson are taking those steps forward as leaders, as, as culture builders this year? Well, you, obviously you see how they play, but I, I think the, the bottom line this year, and I know this is, this is management's bottom line, is you got to win. And, and Alvin, if you go back, you know, Patrick Alvin doesn't say a whole lot. <laughs> it can be frustrating no. at times. You do a 12-minute scrum and transcribe you know, everything he said, and, and there's not a lot there. And he's, it's not that he's evasive or anything. It, it's just, you know, he's, he's pretty private uh, with a lot of information. But you can see, go back and look at some of the things he has said. I, I think recently when, when they signed Brock Besser, he said, you know, our young players have to, get, have to be better. And I, I'm paraphrasing now. And he said, if, you know, they, they, it has to be less about their points and more about what are they willing to do to to help the team win? And in, in some cases, yeah, absolutely. If 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 Brock Besser scores forty goals, that's going to help the team win. But there's more to it than that. You know, J.T. Miller the other day said if if he gets a little less, you know, that could mean more for the team. That if he's better in his two hundred foot game, scores maybe scores fewer points, 
but is a better 200-foot player, that could mean the team is better. That could mean more wins. So uh, I think, uh, and again, I, I keep harping back to, to kind of culture and, and what this new regime is trying to do with, uh, you, you know, expectations and mindset. And a huge, huge part of that are these young, really good players on the Canucks. It's not going to be enough this season just for them individually to get points or have good years and the Canucks miss the playoffs. These, these guys are the best players on the team. <clears throat> They're uh, evolving into leaders on the team as well to varying degrees. The bottom line for them is are, are they going to push this team into the playoffs? Are they going to do whatever is necessary to get the team in the playoffs or not? And it sounds, it sounds unfair because the team around them, we know, could be a lot stronger, especially on defense. But if you're going to be a frontline player and if you're going to be paid uh, to be one of the best players on the team and lead the team, then lead the team. Lead the team. Make the playoffs. Ian, always really appreciate the time and the insight. Enjoy the uh, the game tonight and enjoy the weekend in Penticton. I will, and I'll enjoy main training camp uh, next week in Whistler. Everything's going to come at us fast from now on. It sure is. Uh, thanks, Ian. That is uh, Sportsnet Triple Threat. Ian McIntyre covering uh, Canucks Young Stars Tournament up in Penticton, where my co-host Brendan Batchelor is as well. Bit of a schedule change. Scott Billick from the Winnipeg Sun was slated to join us at 10 o'clock, but because of the Blake Wheeler news, they're actually holding a press conference in minutes there uh, in Winnipeg. So Billick's going to cover that, then he'll hop on with us at 10.30. But I do want to chat a little bit about the Blake, the Blake Wheeler news that he will not be the team's captain uh, this coming season. Anytime you're taking the C off of a veteran player like that, that's a really big deal. It's, it's going to be a fascinating season in Winnipeg. We'll talk a little bit about that, uh, what it means for the Jets. Get back into the Quinn Hughes conversation as well. Uh, some more interesting clips to play from his interview with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. Keep your thoughts coming into 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's Sportsnet today on your home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet today on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. It is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd in the Kintec footstep, uh, excuse me, Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. And my co-host, he's on the road again. He's in Penticton getting set for a hockey game tonight. Uh, it is the voice of the Canucks, Brendan Batchelor. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. A little bit later at 1030, Scott Billick from the Winnipeg Sun covers the Winnipeg Jets for the paper is going to join us. Uh, and, you know, we we were going to we were planning to talk to Scott anyways because the Jets are one of the team at the tournament. And I find them a really interesting team uh, going into this season batch. And then as we were prepping for the show in the morning, uh, the team put out a release that Blake Wheeler, longtime captain of the Jets, will not wear the C this season. This is a decision directly from new coach. Rick Bonus. They're not going to have a specific captain. Instead, uh, they're going to go with a a group of assistants. Haven't decided on who will be the assistants yet, but that's the plan 
for the leadership group in Winnipeg. And I mean, it's a fascinating decision for a lot of different reasons. And the Jets, to me, they're kind of uh, the mirror image of the Canucks because both teams seemed poised to have blockbuster summers, right? Where there's tons of different changes. There's lots of turnover. <laughs> you know, there's frustration with the direction of the team. So there's going to be all these moves and high-profile long-term players uh, could be on the way out. And then instead, nothing really happens. Nothing much yeah. happens with either team. Now, the difference is for the Canucks... Because Bruce Boudreaux came in and they played so well under the new coach and they finished the season on a bit of a high note, there was a, a more of an optimistic mood around the team and they essentially got a vote of confidence from management, right? Hey, we're going to keep everyone here. We're going to extend JT Miller. We're going to add in free agency. We're not going to blow this team up. We're going to give you another shot. So the vibes in Vancouver seem much, much happier, whereas in Winnipeg, it just seems like things festered over the summer and it's going to be, could be another pretty miserable year there. Well, and this is a fascinating decision behind, you know, removing the captaincy from Blake Wheeler as well, because usually in a scenario where you, you know, I guess strip the captain of the sea is is the term that you would use. Mm -hmm. You're replacing him with someone, right? Like we saw the captaincy removed from Dustin Brown in L.A., but it went to Anze Kopitar. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the San Jose Sharks took it off Patrick yep. Marlowe and gave it to Joe Pavelski, I want to say, a few years ago. Yeah, um, there was definitely a switch in, in San Jose. But it, yeah. It, yeah, but, you know, to take it off him and then not be putting it on anyone to me, and I'll be interested to get Scott's perspective on this. To me, that's an indictment of Blake Wheeler to a certain extent. And, you know, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but to say that this guy who's been our captain for a long time is no longer worthy of being our captain, but not because there's someone else that is obvious that should be just because we don't think he should, you know, that that's my initial reaction to it. Maybe that's too harsh, but that that's what makes this really interesting. And I think Winnipeg is going to be a really interesting team to watch because of all of the off ice noises coming out of there, whether it's Mark Shifley, uh, you know, suggesting potentially that he wants to be on the move. Pierre-Luc Dubois likely to be on the move at some point. Mm -hmm. Now Blake Wheeler's been, you know, stripped of the captaincy with no one replacing him. You know, the Winnipeg, they may not be a great team on the ice this year, but I think they could very well be a fascinating team to watch off the ice with all of these things going on. Yeah, and as you said, it's hard not to read it as a bit of an indictment of Blake Wheeler, right? As you said, it's not as if they have this perfect candidate for captain who's a lot younger and you look at it and say, okay, let's do a, a kind of respectful transition here where we move, we turn the page to this guy who's coming up. This is just, well, we'll figure it out. We don't even have the group of assistants in mind yet. We just know it's not going to be you. And it's interesting because, you know, Wheeler obviously had some pointed comments at the end of last season, another disappointing year for the Jets, but it's not as if he avoided accountability, right? He, he stepped up and he said, look, I take responsibility. It's my job to build the culture here, and I've taken a lot of pride in that over the years. I certainly look in the mirror on that one. That, that's Blake Wheeler. I mean, that's kind of, as much as you can say, well, he failed to build the culture, he's also stepping up and taking accountability for it at the end of the year in the media, which is kind of what you want from your captain. And you know, the other thing that I find really interesting about this is this is kind of Rick Bonus's first move as as head coach of, of the Winnipeg Jets. It's not, and, and obviously I'm sure it was done in consultation with management and maybe even talking to some of the players as well or Blake Wheeler 
himself. And, you know, Blake Wheeler is going to actually address uh, the media in Winnipeg. I think right now he's, he's probably speaking or momentarily. So we'll, we'll see what he has to say, but it's a, it's an aggressive first move for, for a head coach to come in and take the C away from a veteran player who, again, you know, as much as you can criticize the direction of that team, he's stepped up. He's been accountable in the media. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, we've already heard John Tortorella question uh, the culture in Philadelphia, right? It's, I guess it's one way to put your stamp on the team right away, Batch. It just seems like the kind of thing that go, could go sideways as well. Yeah, I mean, the easy move would have been to come in and change nothing, right? Blake yep. Wheeler's been there a long time. He's been the long-term captain. So that, you know, again, circles back to what I was saying that, you know, it's hard not to see this as an indictment of him because the far easier decision that would have created less headlines, you wouldn't be having a press conference today, you know, would be, yep, Blake Wheeler's the captain. He's always been the captain. He's back as the captain. So to me, you know, whether it's an indictment of Wheeler specifically, whether it's an indictment of their leadership group, whether it's an indictment of the way things have operated in the past, you know, th- this is a, a big decision by Rick Bonus, And uh, I'll be interested to see some of the quotes coming out of this media availability, both from Bonus and from Wheeler in terms of, of how they're going to to spin this publicly. But uh, again, it's why I'm really interested to hear from Scott when he joins us in, you know, about 20 minutes time, or maybe a little bit longer than that, if the availability runs long Um, because he's there in Winnipeg and he might have a greater feel for exactly what went into this decision to remove the captaincy from Blake Wheeler. Well, and the other thing that strikes me about it, and yeah, we'll get more into it with Scott, but just final thought on it is, you know, that organization is typically really reluctant to make changes. Right. Certainly. I mean, obviously, Shovel Day off long tenured Paul Maurice before he stepped aside was a very long tenured coach in the NHL. So it stands out that the new coach is coming in and making a change. And I also wonder, you know, if things are disappointing again this year in Winnipeg, does it finally force their hand to make some of the more uh, long like big, big time decisions that they kind of uh, avoided making in this off season. Uh, we had uh, this text uh, come in that's saying, yo, Jugheads, in hockey, the A is for alternate captain, not assistant. Uh, well, not according to the Winnipeg Jets, who in their press release on this subject said that it will be a group of assistants uh, as the leadership group. So there you go. We are literally quoting directly from the source. Uh, so we were being as accurate as it is possible to be in that regard. Uh, Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 650. We always enjoy your text, even when they're such as that one. 650-650 is the Dunbar <laughs> Lumber text line. I love it when I can literally hear you biting your tongue as you're speaking. Uh... <laughs> well, it's just, it's uh, rare anyway, that you get one where it, you don't always get, you get lots of texts disagreeing with you and that's fine. That's part of the fun of, of sports radio. It's rare that you get one where it's just like, actually, no, <laughs> that is, that is factually incorrect. And I can quote the source directly uh, to you in this, in this press release. Hey, maybe you but call it alternate, but the Winnipeg Jets are calling it an assistant. And we want to hear from you on the Dunbar Lumber. Of course, line at as always, 650, as always. regardless of how wrong you might. Be. Yes, exactly. Hey, we need wrong takes. That makes the world go around, go around too. They say the press release is wrong. Well, that's fine, but that's what they're calling it. Anyways, we're moving on. Uh, we, we started uh, off the show batch talking a little bit about Quinn Hughes. And he, he did the interview uh, with the Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. You'll be able to hear the full thing on the 32 Thoughts podcast next week when it releases. But we do have some clips to share with you. And, you know, in the first segment, we talked a little bit about 
what we want to see from Quinn Hughes specifically as a player, you know, more aggressive with his shot, stepping up into more of a matchup role, those sorts of things. But he had some interesting things to say that I thought applied to him as an individual player, but also to the team as well. And one of those was his thoughts about his individual start to the season last year. And it's really fascinating with Quinn Hughes because he was one of the few players that was very consistent from, from, from almost game one, basically. And we'll hear what he has to say about it uh, in just a moment. But to the end of the season, he was extremely, extremely consistent in a way that not many other players were for last year. But as we all know, it was such a tough start uh, to the season. So here's Quinn Hughes talking about his start to last year and what he wants to do to hit the ground running this season. I will say my first year was like everything was perfect. It was like rainbows. I went in. I <laughs> I did very well. Yep. My second year I struggled. Lost like not lost my confidence, but I remember going in the summer like man, like I got to dial in like I got to have a better year and I think I did that and but at the start of last season I was like nervous going into the year cuz I had no camp. And I remember my first game in Edmonton. I did not play well. And Greener was on me. My second game in Philly, I played very well. Third game in Detroit, I played well, but we lost two to one. Fourth game, I was injured. Didn't play the fourth game. So I was like nervous. And then I got it on the rails and I had a really good season, I thought. And now I feel like I'm able to like where I'm at a point where I can really push this thing and see what I can do. That's Quinn Hughes comparing his start to last year and feeling a little bit nervous coming in without a full training camp. We all remember the contract dispute and him saying, this year, I feel ready to push it. I feel really ready to go. Don't have uh, that same sense of nerves. And, you know, it is kind of funny because even you hear Batch, him talking about it, he basically says he played one bad game in the first five and missed and missed another one with injury. But he's such a perfectionist, right, that that, that was still enough to make him a little bit nervous about how the season was starting. But as we know, outside of Quinn Hughes, it really was a disastrous start to the year uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. They dug themselves a hole that led to the changes, and they weren't able to dig themselves out of it under Bruce Boudreaux. I think it should still be very encouraging for Canucks fans to hear Quinn Hughes kind of acknowledge some of the nerves he was feeling, some of the concerns he had going into last year, and hear that it's different for him this year because not just for Hughes, but for the entire team, the start to the season, and they start on the road again, just like they did last year, the start to this season is going to be so, so key. It, it's going to be crucial, right? And, you know, I've talked about this a lot in the lead-up to the year that, you know, that it's if they want to make the playoffs in what will be a competitive Pacific division, they cannot get behind the eight ball like they did last year or even – you know, to, to half the degree they did last year, because they really dug themselves an impossible hole uh, with the way they played in the first 25 games last year. But we see so often, and, you know, whether you use the marker of American Thanksgiving or Christmas break or whenever you want to, you know, lay down, lay down a marker in the season, generally speaking, if you're not in a playoff spot or close to it, you know, by into November, December, you're probably not going to be there because it is so difficult in the 32-team modern NHL to make up ground. And it's not going to be easy for the Canucks. They start the regular season with a, a five-game road trip, so the pressure is going to be on them from the drop of the puck to get out to a good start, to you know not have to be chasing teams within their division, to be competitive in terms of that playoff picture. And 
the fact that Hughes seems to have an understanding of that seems to be ready for it. You know, I think Elias Pettersson, when speaking to the media earlier this week, uh, made it clear as well that, you know, he uh, is, is ready to go and expects to have a better start to this season, certainly than he did last year, but he seemed more confident and, and more prepared for the start of the year. That's, that's important. Uh, and the fact that these guys understand that I think is a good sign that sets them up as well as possible to have that good start to the year, which we haven't seen them have in recent years, because again, making up ground in the NHL is next to impossible these days. So you've got to, you know, gone are the days where all the games in October and November don't matter yeah. that much. You can make up ground in the second half. Every game matters. Every game you've got to be looking at in terms of the the bigger picture of trying to make the playoffs. And the better you start the year, the less pressure you have down the stretch like they did last year where, you know, guys have talked about the fact that they felt going into every game that they needed to win to push themselves back into the playoff picture. And every loss seemed so debilitating while every win didn't really gain them the ground that they hoped it would. So the only way to avoid that happening again is to start well and and be in the middle of that playoff mix rather than uh, chasing the pack from the get. Yeah. And you mentioned Elias Pettersson there too, batch, which obviously his start, because as much as Quinn Hughes can talk about, you know, how he was feeling going into last season, for the most part, he held up his end of the bargain. He was very, very good throughout the whole course of the season. Obviously the same can't be said for Elias Pettersson. So that's going to be a huge key to watch. But I also just think on a whole, for the Canucks. You know, you look at it last year, two of their key players in Pedersen and Hughes, not there to start training camp. They joined the team late in preseason. You know, Pedersen's dealing with an injury. And not that that's an excuse that justifies the start the team got, but it is a, a roadblock. It's an obstacle to overcome. Now you should look at it. You can look at it and say, well, you know, a good team should be able to overcome something like that. That's fair, but it was still a piece of adversity for the team to deal with. And I just look at it this season and, you know, Elias Pettersson, healthy, under contract. Quinn Hughes, healthy and under contract. JT Miller, yeah, there was a lot of speculation, but well before training camp, he gets the big long-term deal done. Brock Besser, under contract. Uh, and we know about his, his family situation, all the tragedy he was dealing with. That, that's in the past, and not that it's going to be easy for him, but he's in a better situation now coming in to training camp. You just go down the list. There's not that kind of one bad situation. I mean, even Bo Horvat, okay, he doesn't have a contract beyond this season, but I don't think that's going to balloon into any sort of serious distraction during training camp. So not that, again, you thought the excuses or reasons last year justified the slow start, but there really are no excuses. I mean, all of the key players are healthy. They're under contract. They should be motivated. They should be energized. There's really no reason, or, or at least one that I can see, that would justify another slow start for this team. No, absolutely not. Uh, and, you know, you look at the schedule maybe is the only thing that you could use as an excuse sure. because it's so road heavy off the top. But that said, you know, it's it's not like a, a, a murderer's row of, of teams that they're going up against on that first road trip either, right? They start in Edmonton against the Oilers. That, you know, will be a tough matchup. They go into Philly. We've already heard John Tortorella talking about what a mess it could be there. Uh, you know, Washington's a good team. Columbus should be improved, but, you know, neither of them are, are top, top level clubs and, and then into Minnesota. So, you know, of the five teams on that opening road trip, to me, the Oilers are the, are the stiffest test. And after that, 
you know, you've got some some winnable games there. You absolutely on paper should be able to come back from that trip above 500 through five games, which is really what you need to do because then you come home, you've got the Sabres at home, you've got, you know, three of the remaining four games in October at home, you go to Seattle. So that's a winnable game for your only other road game before Halloween. So it's really that that first nine games in October. If you can come out of those nine games at or above 500, then you set yourself up well when the schedule picks up in November and, and you've got some other road trips and, and you know, you really ramp things up in terms of some of the teams that you play. But again, getting back to what I was talking about before, if you struggle against some of those teams that you on paper should beat and you don't have a good road trip and, you know, maybe you can't find a way to get some wins in those early home games. If you enter the month of November, I don't know, four wins out of nine, three wins out mm-hmm. of nine, something like that then you're already in trouble in terms of the playoff. Oh, yeah. That's how quickly it can happen. So, you know, the, the fact that the fact that uh, they, they really have to get out on the right foot at the start of the year, it's it's something that we've sort of mentioned here and there, but it's going to become a, a bigger and bigger storyline as we get through the preseason and closer to the start of the regular season because they cannot afford to slip up even slightly through the first nine or 10 games of the year. Well, and as much as, you know, you can look at it, okay, five games on the road, a, a few different time zones in there. You got to go out East. Well, they had that last year too. It was actually a six game road trip. That's not where the problem started, right? They, they actually managed with a pretty decent record on that road trip, uh, finishing above 500 on it. It was the homestand after that, where the wheels really started to come off and the season uh, took a nosedive. So there's there's the flip side too of going out on the road where you kind of get that bonding time and especially with some new faces and new coaches on, on on the team that might be really valuable. It's a challenge, but again, it's one that if you're a team that wants to show you're you're a legitimate playoff team, it's it's a challenge you should very much be able to overcome. Uh, Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd and Brendan Bachelor with you, and just one final. A clip I wanted to play from Quinn Hughes today talking to Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman in Vegas for the uh, the NHL and the PA media tour. You'll be able to hear the full interview on 32 Thoughts next week. But just a, a quick thought from Quinn Hughes about the additions to the team made in the uh, in the offseason. You can tell he starts the answer uh, by just his overall impressions and whether or not he was surprised at the, uh, at the moves or lack of moves uh, that the Canucks made this summer. But here's what Quinn Hughes had to say about some of the changes to the team. Yeah, I had no expectations. I mean, like, that's not my job. They're going to do what they want to do. And I was happy with what they did. I, I was just, I didn't know the Kuzmenko kid at all, but I skated with him yesterday and he's... How's he look? Really good, really good. And uh, the kid from Toronto too. KF, yeah. He's so fast and uh, he's given me trouble in the past. But I think those are great additions. Lazar is going to be a great addition because... He's a great guy. It's always been Bo that has to go take the D-zone face off and sacrificing himself and like grinding it out in the D zone and he's too tired to go. And I think Lazar will be able to take some of that and Millsy too. And hopefully PD can expand as well. But yeah, so I'm really happy with what they did. But for me personally, it was all about what I needed to work on in the summer. And um, they gave me things that they wanted to see for me. And that's what I was focused on. That's Quinn Hughes talking about the new additions to the Canucks roster over the summer. And first of all, I have to say it's funny to hear him call both Andre Kuzmenko and Ily Mikheyev kids uh, when he is, in fact, older. Or sorry, they're both older by several years <laughs> than Quinn Hughes. But maybe that's part of stepping up into a leadership role, uh, Batch. Yeah, we got that kid, Mikheyev. It's like, well, he's five years older than you, Quinn, but uh, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, but the other thing that stands out is 
you know, we're always going to have the debate batch. Okay, hey, does the Ilya Mikheyev contract make sense, right? Did they have to go three years with Curtis Lazar? The fans are going to have that conversation, and that's fair. From the player's perspective, though, they're always just excited to see the front office invest in the team, bring in those reinforcements. As you heard Quinn say, hey, Curtis Lazar can take some of that load off my guys, Bo and Milsey and, P- and Petey, right? So there's always going to be that excitement. And to me, it just, it removes another potential excuse. You know what I mean? Management gave you a vote of confidence. They brought in some key additions. There's no reason the vibe should be off or the team should be down or there shouldn't be a good atmosphere around the team. You've got all the resources you need. Now go out there and prove that it was the right call. Yeah, you know, the, the one thing I would say about the additions is that, you know, maybe it would have been good if they could have added on the blue line. No doubt. I think those are still going to be the big questions going into this season is, yeah, they've added forward depth and, you know, hopefully it allows for some some greater depth scoring or, you know, allows them to keep their heads above water if they go through injuries because they've got more guys up front um, that, that can chip in. But the blue line is returning the same. Uh, and so it's interesting to hear Quinn Hughes talk about it in, in those sorts of terms, because it would be very easy to expect, you know, a player like that to think, yeah, but we needed help back here. You didn't give us any help back here on the blue line. Um, but, you know, I think it sort of speaks to the positive outlook this organization has after the way they played down the stretch last year. And you're right. You know, the fans, us media, we're going to talk about all of these things, whether it be, you know, was the Mikheyev money the best way to spend it? Could it have been allocated elsewhere on the roster, particularly to trying to upgrade the blue line? You know, those sorts of conversations will come into focus if they struggle going into the year. But within that organization, the one thing I've I've sort of gleaned from everyone that we've had the chance to talk to so far, whether it's been, you know, Bo Horvat or Elias Pettersson or hearing from Quinn Hughes right now is they have an increased level of confidence in themselves after what they were able to do down the stretch last year, even though it didn't get them above that playoff bar, you know, the mentality, at least from, from talking to these guys and seeing the way they talk about it seems to have changed to a team that, believes a lot more in itself has a lot more confidence in itself and to me that's half the battle where you know you have to have that self-belief that you can go go into any arena in the league or go up against any team in the league on home ice and find a way to win games and you know if they've been able to find some of that self-belief if they've been able to bottle it and hold on to it through the summer and if they can carry that through with a good training camp and a good preseason into the start of the regular season this year then that's going to make a world of difference for them you know regardless of who they've added to the roster or whether the blue line is the same or not because you know whether it's hockey or anything you do in life if you have that belief in yourself it makes a huge amount of difference and you know again it's easy to have that belief when you haven't played a game yet right you yeah. know everything yep. is sunshine and roses in training camp and even before training camp with your casual skates where guys have had good summers they're coming back feeling good you know ready to go optimistic about what the the year might hold hey there's 32 teams around the league that are optimistic that they can take a step this year the reality is not all of them are going to be able to do it but the canucks have shown as they did you know from december onwards last year that they can be a team that wins games consistently and you know the pace they were on last year was that of a playoff team from the moment boudreau arrived and beyond 
now they've just got to go out and do it for 82 games rather than 56, 57 games or whatever it was that they played after Boudreaux arrived. Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show coming up. Uh, Jamie Dodd here with Brendan Batchelor, who's in Penticton. We'll talk to Scott Billick from the Winnipeg Sun. He covers the Jets. Big news this morning. Blake Wheeler will not be the team's captain for this upcoming season. Uh, we will chat to Scott about that and more on the Winnipeg Jets. That's next. It's the home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Today on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. Final segment here, Sportsnet Today. I'm Jamie Dodd in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. My co-host, Brendan Batchelor, live in Penticton, uh, for the Young Stars Tournament, which gets going today, he will be calling all of the games uh, that the Canucks play there in Penticton, including tonight's game against the Calgary Flames team, which you'll be able to hear on our alternate stream here on Sportsnet 650. We're playing uh, the Canadians' playoff game. Could be their final game of the year on the main feed. Uh, so the Canucks game will be on the alternate stream. Uh, but I believe Sunday and Monday, the Canucks games will be on the main feed. So you'll be able to hear Batch do his play-by-play. What, I mean, I know you must be excited to get back to doing doing your job, as it were, Batch. But I think I, I speak for everyone. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel really good to just sit down and listen to some hockey at this point. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's been a long summer. Well, it feels like both it's been a long summer and a short summer because, uh, you know, when, when you're off enjoying things, uh, you know, it's, it's, and the weather's good, then, then coming back into the rink is maybe not the first thing you want to do right away. But <laughs> once you get back into the rink, uh, you get that, that sort of feeling around hockey again and, and it's exciting. So I'm really looking forward to calling the game tonight. It should be fun. It's always a great atmosphere here at the South Okanagan Event Center too. You know, the, the people here in Penticton and the surrounding area and the Okanagan do a great job of supporting this tournament, coming out in numbers uh, to attend. As far as I understand, all of the ticket packages for the entire tournament have been sold out. So there's only limited single game tickets left, which I believe are still available. If uh, you're planning to head to Penticton or are here already and want to catch some of the games. Um, but it's, it's a tournament that, you know, this, this part of the province has always embraced. Uh, I'm, you know, Ian said it very well that everyone you talk to around here is very excited that it's back. So not only is it the return of hockey, but it's, you know, the building's going to be jumping tonight. So, you know, it, it's going to be good. It, I'm looking forward to it, especially over the past couple of years where we've had too many games yeah. that either didn't have fans in attendance or as the broadcast crew, we weren't in the building in person uh, to have some normalcy in that regard tonight is going to be nice. It's uh, Sportsnet 650 here. Sportsnet today with Jamie Dodd and Brendan Batchelor. Now joining us, he covers the Winnipeg Jets, one of the teams in attendance at Penticton for the Winnipeg Sun. Uh, he is Scott Billick. Scott, thanks very much for doing this. Uh, any big news in, in Winnipeg this morning? Oh, none at all. No, just another cold day in this province. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, what an incredible day. I mean, you know, the Jets are getting ready to play tonight. Uh, well, at least the prospects are um, in Penticton there. And uh, back home in Winnipeg here, Blake Wheeler is out as the, the team's captain. And, uh, you know, a bit of shocking news, probably not all, at all surprising, I suppose, in the end, if you kind of think about how the summer's gone here and, 
you know, the reports that Blake Wheeler may or may not want out, which he actually um, suggested that, you know, that was part of a conversation this summer, that he was looking for a mutual um, decision with the Jets to try and facilitate a trade. Um, and so, you know, you're left with what, you know, some of us here in Winnipeg came to the conclusion of, well, how do you have your captain come back in and be the captain after essentially, you know, asking for his, his uh, you know, his pink kind of slip out of here. And so, so now you have today where now Blake Wheeler's not the captain of the league or the team anymore. And it, it's, it was very clear, um, listening to new head coach Rick Bonus speak, that that this team is looking to uh, go in a different direction in terms of the le- team's leadership, but also what essentially you know is tantamount to allowing the players from before that were trying to be leaders and maybe weren't able to under Blake Wheeler kind of rise up and take their kind of those roles that they were naturally kind of moving into, um, but weren't able to kind of maybe let's say, uh, spread their wings as much as they, as they wanted to. Um, and now it appears that that's going to be the case. And, uh, you know, the, it's open. You know, this is a wide-open thing. There could be three or four assistants all year. They're not going to go with a captain here in Winnipeg, at least to start the year. Although Bonus said earlier that potentially, you know, it'll, it'll naturally, you know, it'll be kind of an organic thing who becomes the next captain just based on, you know, kind of how it rolls out. But, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty monumental day, um, uh, here in Winnipeg with the Wheeler after six years of being the captain of the Jets well, um, out, out, out without a letter kind yeah. of going into the season. And, and Scott, I mean, we were planning to talk with you anyways. We arranged it last night. And one of the reasons, you know, even before yeah. this news broke, one of the reasons is, uh, to me, the Winnipeg Jets are fascinating because there was so much turmoil around the team last year and not a lot changed over the summer. And we're kind of, I think we're seeing an expression of that turmoil with the, the Blake Wheeler news. It, did you yeah. read this as an indictment of any sort of Blake Wheeler and his leadership capabilities, or is it simply a question of, as you said, look, they were trying to trade him and that makes it basically impossible to bring him back as a captain. Yeah. I think it's a bit of part A and a bit of part B, right? I mean, I think it is a bit of an indictment. I I, know I've seen on social media today, this was, that's not the case, but if you look at the last few years here, ever since the Jets went to the Western final in 2017, 18, um, it's been on a downward trend and Blake hasn't been able to kind of shoulder um, the responsibilities of the captain the same way that he used to be able to do it. Um, it was a different team back then, too. Now you have guys like Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, um, Josh Morrissey, guys coming up now. I mean, Josh Morrissey was already an assistant captain, but at the same time, you've had other guys, this kind of youth movement, which, you know, there's a bit of an age gap between Blake Wheeler and some of these guys like Connor and Ehlers and that sort of thing, who haven't really had that opportunity to kind of really kind of lead this team. It's always been under Blake Wheeler's wing. And, and, you know, the way that Blake at the end of last year said, well, you know, we're a young team and almost kind of blamed it on the youth, except if you look across the NHL, I mean, look in Vancouver, wherever, um, you know, every team is kind of going younger. Some of the best players in the league, Dale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Elias Peterson. I mean, there's a lot of guys, you know, out there on different teams that are young, that are, that are leading their teams already, that are doing that. And in Winnipeg, it was always kind of the old guard here. And Mark Shifley uh, and, and, and obviously Blake Wheeler being among those guys who've been here essentially since the Jets returned to Winnipeg um, that have kind of, kind of been the, the, that leadership um, head, I guess, the three here, the, you know, a couple of guys leading this team. But I think what you saw here today is based on whatever – 
Rick Bonus talked to the players and got a sense from the team that, you know, it sounded to me, listening to it, reading between the lines, that, you know, it, it was almost like, you know, Blake Wheeler kind of wore out his, uh, I guess, wore out his welcome as a captain. Um, and, and and players were looking maybe to, to, to follow somebody else or just, you know, become those uh, that those types of players themselves that, that can lead and, and, and can have a big voice in the room. So I, I do think it is an indictment on Blake. I also think it's, uh, you know, just a product of the summer and what, what transpired with him wanting out. I mean, I, I, again, I, it's one of the biggest things, question marks I had coming into this season, now been answered, but it was how are you going to bring in your captain back, have him wear the C, knowing that it might even still be on the table that he's trying to work his way out of town. Like, I mean, it's just not a good look for this franchise. And, um, I, you know, and the other thing, and I'll say this, I think this is a, a good, like, this is a good sign for the Jets. This is something that, that, that fans will be wanting to see is like Rick Bonus has put his stamp on this team almost immediately, right? Like right before, you know, training camp's a week away from starting, the Jets are now moving in a completely different direction leadership wise. And it's Rick Bonus running the room. And that wasn't always the case under Paul Maurice, who ended up leaving, abruptly leaving the team last year in December. But it's just been one of those things where now they're, uh, let's say, for lack of a better term, there's a new sheriff in town. Yeah, and, you know, we've heard that uh, Rick Bonus uh, and Blake Wheeler have met with the media here in the last hour. You were, were there to, to hear what yeah. they had to say. We were on the air while it happened. So what were the main takeaways uh, from from what both Wheeler and Bonus had to say to the media about this decision? Has it been made abundantly clear that, that Wheeler did want out or does want out going forward and how concerning is that for a Winnipeg Jets group that has questions now not just around Blake Wheeler but around Mark Scheifele's future and Pierre-Luc Dubois's future uh, in Winnipeg as well yeah I mean it, it, for sure it's concerning I, I think you know one of the things that was said was you know a lot of this stuff that was said between Rick Bonus and Blake Wheeler is going to be kept between those two you kind of expect that you know you'd uh, but, you know, Blake come in, came up and, and, and got in front of the mic and said, you know, he was kind of caught off guard by it. He wasn't expecting to not be the, the captain of the Winnipeg Jets. And so you kind of get the sense that this wasn't a mutual decision, but one made by the coach, and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, you know, in terms of Blake wanting out and that sort of thing, I, I, given that this was a mutual thing, I, I know the team had been looking to try and possibly move him too. One, because his contract is pretty... You know, it, it's a large contract, and they can use the cap space for for other things. And the other thing too is, I, I think both the team and Blake just kind of knew that the time is kind of now to maybe just depart from one another um, and and kind of kind of sign those divorce papers, um, so to speak. Um, but yeah, with the Dubois thing, like th- this is the interesting thing. So you know, if the young players, let's say, didn't see a, maybe a path to leadership or a path to being you know a prominent voice in the room. What does this say to Pierre Dubois now, who's one of those young players, became, has become a leader here in his two years seasons here? Obviously, unsure if he's going to stick stick around after he, you know, after his his, his latest contract is up, um, and and he'll become a free agent and, and an unrestricted free agent in a couple of years. But what does this say now to Pierre Dubois? I mean, this might be a good thing for him. This might be something that he was keen on um, before the end of last season, but just didn't see a path. Maybe it changes his mind. Who knows? I mean, that, that's that's the interesting thing about this because you know, around these parts, we haven't seen a lot of change since the Jets returned. I mean, we still have the same GM that, that that was here when the Jets returned in 2011. 
Paul Maurice was the head coach for m- most of eight seasons here. Um, so there's been a lot of change in this team, and it's it's hard to know kind of how what the future holds um, for this team. But you know, I think as I said before, I think today is a good thing for the franchise as a whole um, because they're kind of getting more uh, a better grasp, I suppose, of the team and, and starting to kind of maybe listen to the players a little bit and letting. Some of the guys who are, 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 are great leaders in their own right, they don't wear letters um, all the time, but maybe they have an opportunity to do that and, and just have a bigger voice, right? I mean, I think, you know, this is a very ego-driven business. A lot of guys, you know, have egos and, and they want to be uh, looked upon. They want to be guys with letters on their, on, on their jerseys and stuff like that. And, you know, I think now the, the slate is clean here in Winnipeg. And, um, you know, the guys that want it will step up and, and stand out and, and, from, and the go from there. And, and that wasn't something that you could say about, you know, an hour ago before this news kind of hit. Uh, we're in conversation yeah. with Scott Billick. He covers the Winnipeg Jets for the Winnipeg Sun, talking the Blake Wheeler news and, and everything else happening with the Jets right now here on Sportsnet 650. And, you know, as you said there, Scott, we're not used to seeing a lot of dramatic change from Winnipeg, but they do have uh, the new head coach and Rick Bonus this year. And, and, and again, as you say, he immediately puts his stamp on the team. What else do you think that management wants to see from Rick Bonus in terms of changing, whether it's how the Jets play, how they are off the ice. What are some of the other ways do you think we're going to see Rick Bonus put his stamp on the team? Yeah, I mean, I think this team is just going to become a better defensive team under Rick Bonus, and you saw that in Dallas. Um, you know, and, and, and when he was in, in his time in Dallas, I mean, that team didn't have a whole lot of scoring threats outside of Sagan and Ben, and well, you know, obviously Radulov was there, and the some guys that Robey Hintz move up, and obviously Richardson, but you know, during his time there, I mean, it was very much a defensive team. And one of the things that the Jets have sorely um, missed in their last few seasons is the ability to play sound defensive hockey. And so, um, you know, it, uh, Rick has said as much in his, in, when he was hired. Uh, that was one of the things that he wants this team to be better at, is defensive hockey. You know, we're going to see during training camp kind of what that looks like. But, you know, kind of to tie this into the, the Penticton Young Stars Tournament, how the Jets are going to play in this Young Stars tournament is part of the genesis of, of, of Rick Bonus's kind of new systems. And they're going to start working those systems in with the rookies and the prospects and guys like even like Cole Perfetti, who's going to play a big role on this Jets team who's out there this weekend um, to play. You know, that's going to be start of the kind of what this team wants to look like on the ice. And, and Rick has said it himself. I mean, it's all about competing. Um, they want to be the hardest competing team every night. It sounds kind of cliche, but if you watch the Jets with any, you know, uh, substance last year, you would have found a team that was would no-show some nights and, and didn't compete often. And, and it led to a lot of game losses and, 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 and a lot of cracks in the team and the foundation and, and everything that kind of happened, even up to the point where the team has a new head coach and doesn't have its captain anymore. So it's those types of things that Rick Bonus. Um, is going to come in and change. And again, I think the biggest thing, and I keep harkening back to this, but I think the biggest thing is just like today, what, what has happened today is something that is just so rare around this, uh, this team that there's a guy at the top, and we, and we just didn't see this a lot because Paul Maurice really elevated uh, Blake Wheeler, especially as he's the leader. He leads the room. Well, it looks again like Brick Bonus has taken back control of the room, and he'll dictate who gets to 
you know, influence certain aspects of the game. And that, that's a complete change, a complete 180 from kind of how it's been here over time. So between systems, because that's changing, it's going to be completely different this year. I mean, as much as it completely different can be in the NHL, because most teams run a lot of the similar same systems. But it's also that kind of getting the room um, back to, uh, it, you're not looking at a certain player or whatever. You know, there, there is leadership that goes above the captain on this team. And that's uh, obviously been instilled after what we saw today. So now that, you know, this organization has come through the summer and, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier that, you know, in many ways you can look at the Canucks and the Jets and they had similar summers in that people were expecting more change to the roster than maybe actually yeah. materialized. Where do expectations set, you know, where do you set expectations in Winnipeg for this team this season as it's currently constructed with Blake Wheeler still on the roster and, you know, all these other pieces returning when people maybe thought there would have been more movement to get some of these guys out of town. Yeah, I mean, I think at the moment, until we see something different from this team actually on the ice, right now I think you look at this team and they have enough talent to be a, a playoff bubble team, but where it goes from there is kind of will be decided by how it kind of works with with Rick Bonus and what he you know installs in this team and all that kind of stuff. It was a quiet summer here. I mean, you go from a season where it's basically a complete disaster around these parts. Um, you don't make the playoffs. The team is talking about lack of accountability and respect and all that kind of stuff in the dressing room. And then you just you, you go through the summer and your biggest signing. And this is no knock against Sam Gagne. But when you go through the summer and your biggest move is, you know, bringing in a third, possibly, and likely even a fourth liner into your team, and then that's kind of all you've done, that, that's, that's a tough one to stomach if you're, if you're a fan of this team. It's hard to think that this team is going to be any better than it was last year when they've lost Andrew Kopp, uh, they've lost Paul Stasny, they don't have Eric Comrie as the backup anymore. I mean, there's an argument to be made that this team, at least on paper, doesn't look as good as it did going into last season. But again, the counter-argument to that is that everybody thought that the arrival of Nate Schmidt, which you guys will obviously know in Vancouver, and uh, Brendan Dillon uh, last season was supposed to put this kind of team maybe over the top or move it back into where they were, you know, about four or five years ago and during that 2017-18 season. So it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting off-season because we just don't know. I mean, the theory, at least one of the theories I have is Kevin Chevaldeff, the general manager here, kind of, he, he, he built this team last year expecting it to be a lot better and still sees a better team than what he got last year, but because of circumstances, a coaching change, COVID, all that kind of stuff, it just didn't materialize for, for the Jets. And, you know, why wouldn't he try and run it back? At the same time, when you lose guys like Kopp and Stasny, you know, primarily, and haven't really replaced them, you know, how much better can you expect people to think their team is going to be. So it's one of the biggest question marks is don't really know where this team is at. But if I was going to peg it somewhere, I would say, you know, kind of a playoff bubble team that could either miss it by as many points as they did last year, or maybe just squeak in. But again, if Rick bonus has the effect that he had in Dallas, perhaps the jets are better than, than, than we think. But again, going off of, you know, the most recent season, it, it's tough to say that they're anything more than a bubble team. Scott, just before we let you go, Winnipeg are one of the teams in Penticton for the Young Stars Tournament this year, and they might have the, one of the most exciting players to watch at the tournament in Cole Perfetti. You know, it's rare yeah. sometimes to see guys at these events who've actually played in the NHL. He did 
last year for the Jets, former 10th overall pick. What are your what are your expectations for the role that Perfetti will play with Winnipeg this season? Yeah, I mean, I, it's going to be a big role, and I, I, I expect him to play top six minutes. Um, he kind of finished there with Pierre-Luc Dubois last year before getting, getting injured, first a shoulder and then a back injury that really derailed the rest of the season. Um, but I think he's going to have a – he's going to play a massive role in this team. I think he's one of those players – and the Jets got extremely lucky with the whole COVID situation coming out of it that Cole Perfetti didn't have to, could go play with the Manitoba Moose, the AHL team, farm team here, and that he didn't then have to go back to junior um, last year because of the agreement between the NHL and the OHL um, for, for players who had, hadn't played the previous season. So Cole Perfetti, instead of having to just play two more seasons in the OHL because that's the way it goes, could now play professional hockey. And his first year with the Moose was so good that, you know, he was on the opening night roster the following season last year and, and, and became, you know, not necessarily a, a mainstay on every night because there were some ups and downs for him. But when he came back into the lineup prior to getting injured, he was a kid that almost kind of transformed on his time out. And he was, he was playing a role that, that, was, that was helping the team win. And I think that's, again, one of the things, you know, he's coming off the injury Part of the reason why he's there in tank fixing right now is just to get him playing some games. He hasn't played at games since February, didn't play in the World Juniors because of his injury and just wanted to be ready for training camp and all that. So, yeah, I think, I mean, Cole Fervetti is going to have a massive role, and I think he's going to be a big standout in that tournament, if only simply because he has just more experience kind of at that level and at the NHL level um, to kind of maybe take the horns. Uh, of that Jets team and kind of really lead them into, you know, maybe a few wins this few wins this season for them. Scott, really appreciate the time. I know it's a busy day uh, around the Winnipeg Jets, so thanks for your insight, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll chat again soon. Yeah, anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That is Scott Billick, covers the Winnipeg Jets for the Winnipeg Sun, breaking down the Blake Wheeler news and giving us a little preview of what to expect from Cole Perfetti this year as well. Uh, Batch, we got to go. This was fun, man. Enjoy the game tonight. I'm stoked to hear you on the call. Yeah, looking forward to it as uh, the Canucks uh, development coaches and players trickle onto the ice here now at the SOEC. They're going to get their morning skate underway in about five minutes or so. So I'll have some updates on Twitter on what we can maybe expect from the lineup. And uh, yeah, it'll it'll be fun. I back love, on the air. I love a good batch hockey lineup tonight. Tweet. It's always exciting when I see you tweet yeah. the lines batch. So I'm, I'm thrilled that that's back. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Again, you'll be able to hear the game tonight uh, at 7.30 on our alternate stream, which you can find on our website or on the Sportsnet app. So you will be able to hear Batch's call of the game. Uh, keep it locked right here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.